Hello and welcome to Broads You Should Know, the podcast about amazing and noteworthy women in history. I'm Sarah Gorski. I'm Chloe Skye. And I'm Jupiter F. Stone. And I am bringing a broad who I have wanted to do since we started this podcast, actually. Ooh. And I've just delayed and delayed because I knew I was going to be emotional about her. And I and turns out I was. I like cried while I was doing my research. But I don't think you're going to cry because her story is amazing. So I'm going to start with a little story. So in the part of the world that includes Afghanistan and Pakistan, there's this story about this folk hero. And I have to say folk hero because it seems like her name doesn't actually appear in the major publications of the history of the region, kind of like Mulan. So she's considered more of like a legend, but she very well may have existed, as we know from all of the broad stuff we've done on this podcast, because all the histories are written by men and they hate on the women and yada, yada, yada. Right. But anyway, so we have this folk hero who might have been a real woman and barely a woman. She's like 18 years old. And this is during around the 1880s in a small village called Keeg, which is about three miles south of Maiwand. The British were invading Afghanistan by the way of India because they thought they still thought they owned everything. So the Afghani army was against the Indians combined with the British and there was this this big war going on. Our folk hero's father and her fiancé joined the army to try to push the British back out. Our hero follows with them to help tend the wounded and bring the water and feed them. And the battle is rough. The Afghani soldiers are starting to lose hope. Their morale like completely is destroyed and they just like want to turn away. They want to run and they want to leave. And then their flag bearer is shot dead and so their flag falls. And our little hero picks up the flag and she carries it forward shouting for the men to keep fighting. Their hope is restored and they win the battle. Damn. But the but our hero is shot by a British soldier and she dies. Huh. And the poets and all the storytellers sing her praises. And her name was Malalai. Now, fast forward a little bit. That's like the intro lead in here. Fast forward to July 12th, 1997. This young couple greets their firstborn newborn baby girl. The uncle of the baby, her father's brother, arrives shortly after she was born. And he brings this amazingly intricate, beautiful copy of their family tree. And he shows it to Ziaden. And Ziaden looks at the tree And he sees that only the men of the family are listed on it. Gross. (laughs) There's only men. (laughs) And he picks up his pen and he draws a line below his own name. And he writes the name of his baby girl, Malala. Oh, you're doing Malala. There's no way he would have known who his daughter was going to become. I am doing Malala Yousafzai. Wow. Ooh. All right. Oh, damn. Okay. Have you guys heard of Malala? Do you know anything oh, about her? Oh, yes. definitely. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I just, I just listened to an interview that she did on uh, Kristen Bell's podcast. What? I missed that interview. Oh, I have to go so good. find it. It's so, that so good. That whole podcast is amazing, Sarah. Yeah. Oh, I love Kristen Bell, so I do have to check that out. Yeah. yeah. it's it's started as uh, Dax, her husband's podcast, and then... Uh, eventually it got so popular that she was like, I want to do one too. And it's just like in the same feed. Yeah. And it's all like women empowerment. Yeah. It's just interviews with it's, it was originally called shattered glass. And then they realized a bunch of podcasts were already called that. So they changed it to, Uh... we are supported by, we are supported by, and then the name of whoever they're interviewing, which is always some super badass woman. Yeah, these are like Gloria Estevan and Oprah and... Dang, oh, I gotta oh, check oh, it oh. out. Oh, it's so that good. That sounds amazing. That sounds like 
something I would like. It's right up your alley. Yes, I know. But but I'm excited for, for your presentation. Me too. <laughs> well, since she's only 24 years old, um, her story has been like super widely publicized and she has a book out, many uh, several books out. I'm guessing a lot of our listeners might know her story already because she has been so widely publicized. But for listeners who don't know who she is, her story is so incredible and I... I it belongs on this podcast. So Malala's dad, Ziauddin, Ziauddin though is I think how you say her dad's name. He was a teacher and he founded a chain of schools in their hometown in the area of Mingora, Pakistan, in this little area called Swat, in the, the Swat Valley. It's not very far from Islamabad, but there's like a huge mountain range in between like the big metropolitan of Islamabad and this smaller, like super fertile, beautiful Valley. And her mother, Torpakai, um, didn't end up finishing school. She dropped out and uh, supposedly mainly due to peer pressure. She'd been like the only girl in her class. And then there's this, I watched the documentary last night and I was, I cried through like half of it because it's just so good. There's this documentary called um, he, uh, he Named Me Malala as opposed to her book, which is I Am Malala. Mm. And in the documentary, there's this cute story that her dad tells. Her whole family, by the way, is, is just so cute. Like your heart just like swells up watching them. It's I I don't I don't even I don't even remember the last time I saw such a cute family in the history of my life. <laughs> From everything I've seen and heard, her dad just seems like the best person. The best. So there's this cute story he tells in the documentary that he's like, Oh, I never had the looks. I mean, look at me, I never had the looks, but I had the education. Now my wife, she wasn't as educated. But she was so beautiful, so we fit each other perfectly. <laughs> it was, like, unbearably cute. I couldn't even. So because her dad started up this whole chain of schools, Malala was pretty much always there with him when she was a baby and as she grew up. Like, And from the beginning, she has, like, this crazy thirst for knowledge, and she loves her classes. And her dad did uh, a lot of private tutoring. And they talk about how she'd always stay up really late at night talking with him. And they would sit there and they would talk about politics and all the things she was learning in school and then everything else that's happening in the world and everything that's especially that's happening right there around them. Um, and they had this, they have, because they're both still alive, they still have this crazy father-daughter bond where they're just like two peas in a pod, right? And her dad is not only a proponent of and creator of educational systems, he's also a huge advocate, not just for education, but against the ultra-conservative way of life that the Taliban is trying to force on everyone in Pakistan. The mini fill-in info for people who are like less familiar with what is going on in Afghanistan and Pakistan, and they're both, by the way, Afghanistan and Pakistan are right next to each other. So, so all, those, all these conflicts, even though we always talk about the war in Afghanistan, like most certainly is also the war in Pakistan, right? And so Malala's town is right in the middle of where all the conflict is happening in this region. And the Taliban are this extremely conservative group of Muslims who've been fighting to take over the country's government and implement their extremely conservative lifestyle on the whole region. And in this case, that means that like women have to cover up their whole faces. They have to wear burqas, which are like the full body. Uh, and they can't go to the store. Women can't go to the store and they can't go to school. Education is forbidden. Women are just forbidden to do basically everything to exist <laughs> right to be on family wow. trees and to clarify too those are not like the widely held beliefs of most islamic like muslim believers right these are like very extremist views like a very small portion but the taliban have somehow accrued all these weapons and managed to take over all this land so they're trying to implement 
and take over the governments in this area. So like Malala and her family are not, they do not subscribe to any of that bullshit. Like her dad is like, he wouldn't maybe call himself one, but he's like most definitely a feminist and believes in educating women and that women should be able to do the things that they want to do. So, so anyway, as all of this conservative insanity starts to infiltrate their beautiful valley, her dad, Ziaudin, starts speaking out against the Taliban. Uh, it's dangerous as fuck, but he has this great quote in the documentary that's, quote, it is better to be a lion for a day than a slave for a hundred years. Ooh. Well, that's true. He ain't lying. Nah. He is not lying, and that is a great quote. But he, he is lying, a lion. He's the lion. <laughs> he is. <laughs> I'm about that. Uh, and so he starts speaking. He goes to these, like, press clubs and gatherings, and he starts, like, he speaks his mind. He doesn't just shut up about what's going on because he doesn't want to see it happen, and he doesn't want to see it get worse. He doesn't want to see it affect his family and his daughter. So at this point in the story, it's about 2008, and Malala is, like, 15 or 16, and the BBC has been trying for a really long time to get information about, like, what life is like in the areas that are controlled by the Taliban, in like these more rural areas. It was super dangerous to communicate with outside governments when you were in a land that was like being controlled by the Taliban, right? The Taliban are super brutal. They're like beheading people. They're killing people like in the streets. So it's some dangerous time. So Zadin speaking out like, is a big thing to do that. So anyway, the, the Taliban influence is escalating and escalating. And the BBC is like, how can we how can we find out what's going on? Because we just don't have any connections outside of the big cities. They said, uh, the editors of the BBC said, quote, we had been covering the violence and politics in SWAT in detail, but we didn't know how uh, we didn't know much about how ordinary people lived under the Taliban. So the BBC Urdu came up with this plan to have a schoolgirl write a blog about her day-to-day life. And because Zodin was running a bunch of schools, the BBC was like, hey, do you know any girls that might be willing to do this under a pseudonym and stuff? Like, we'll protect her information, but like, we really are looking to get like an on-the-ground look of what is happening and how it affects the kids, specifically the girls, right? Zodin like asks around and everyone's like, that's a little too dangerous for my daughter. I don't think I want her to do that. And he's like, well, maybe I should, maybe I should ask Malala what she thinks about it. Like, maybe that's something she would want to do. And Malala was like, yes, I am down. So (laughs) she starts writing under a pseudonym uh, and her first blog is published January 3rd, 2009. There's a bunch of quotes, even just on the Wikipedia page from her. her At that point, is she like 12 years old? Yeah. Wow. That's a lot. To like be living that lifestyle and then to have to like articulate what that experience is like and then to give that experience to somebody and then to know that that someone is then going to cascade it to the world. And to know that if like her identity was revealed, like people would show up at her door. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Terrifying. She's not safe. She's not like in witness protection. (laughs) She's like in the field. So one of her earliest entries... I just want to read like one of the quotes from from her blog at that time. Quote, I had a terrible dream yesterday with military helicopters and the Taliban. I have had such dreams since the launch of the military operation in SWAT. My mother made me breakfast and I went off to school. I was afraid going to school because the Taliban had issued an edict banning all girls from attending schools. Only 11 out of 27 pupils attended the class because the number decreased because of the Pakistani Taliban's edict. My three friends have shifted to Peshawar, with their families after this edict. So her entries are like very dry, like a good description of just what's happening, but like how horrific. 
Mm-hmm. In Mingora, the Pakistani side of the Taliban had set up an edict that no girls could attend school. They like went so far to just like start blowing up schools. They were like blowing up girls' schools in the middle of the night to try to like stop girls from going to school. Wow. And the night before wow. the ban took effect, they, like Malala talks about how there was like just noise of artillery fire and bombs like waking her up all night. But the next day after that edict passed, Malala also, for the first time, saw some of the stuff she had been writing published in the newspaper, which was, like, kind of cool. And Yo, like, definitely. Wow. Whoa! I'm making an impact! Wow! Right? Yo! So um, there was continued fighting. The education restrictions ended up lifting a little bit. The, ta- the Taliban agreed to allow girls to attend co-ed classes, but they still kept the girls' schools closed. Um, there was a temporary peace treaty for a while, and the violence was easing up, but it didn't go away entirely. And then her blog ended in, in March of the same year, so that's really only like three months of blogging. There's a second battle, though, in the valley, and her whole family is evacuated. And her dad goes to Peshawar, to continue his protesting and trying to get up support against the Taliban. And Malala and her mom and brothers go to the countryside with an aunt because that was way safer than going to the big city, right? Especially because their dad is speaking out. And Ziauddin is like super active and he's super vocal. And eventually he's loud enough with his protestations that the Taliban denounce him and threaten his life on the radio one night. They talk about how uh, the the Taliban are like blasting the radio like on the town speaker and they like list off the names of people who they want to kill at night, and, and and his name is there now. Damn. Yeah. And Malala's watching all this unfold, and she's super, super inspired by her dad. She had been to this point, she'd been like, I really want to be a doctor. Uh, and now she's like, you know what? I don't want to be a doctor anymore. I want to be a politician. I want to create change. Ooh. And she said, quote, I have a new dream. I must be a politician to save this country. There are so many crises in our country. I want to remove these crises. Wow. The Pakistan army is finally able to push out the Taliban from the Swat Valley, and Malala and her family are able to go back home. And for the most part, their home and Zwaden's schools are still intact. They weren't, like, completely decimated by bombs or something like that. And Malala, at this point, since she's kind of made this shift and she wants to be active like her dad, she starts making public appearances on TV and at press conferences and elsewhere, advocating specifically for women's education. And then in December of 2009, so at the end of the year that she started blogging, her blogger identity is revealed. What? I didn't find out how and why and whether that was a choice or not, but still kind of like, okay. Uh, And of course, her press coverage, like, dramatically increases when people are like, oh, that's who wrote this. Um, And so she starts to get some international recognition. Archbishop Desmond Tutu recognizes her and nominates her for the International Children's Peace Prize. Wow. Desmond Tutu. Yo, Desmond Tutu. And she's awarded uh, Pakistan's first National Youth Peace Prize. Trendsetter? Trendsetter? Yeah. The Prime Minister, um, Prime Minister Jelani, awards her the National Peace Award for Youth. And the prime minister directs authorities to set up an IT campus in the SWAT degree college for women at Malala's request. And then they also name like a secondary school, an elementary school after her. And so things are like happening, especially locally, especially in Pakistan. Uh, And then in 2002, she starts planning to organize the Malala Education Foundation, which was going to be a nonprofit to help poor girls go to school. So her activism star is rising, but as that rises, the Taliban's rage 
skyrockets against her. Yeah. And she starts getting death threats at first kind of on social media, but then she also gets, there's like notes published in the paper. She has like notes slipped under their door that are like death threats. She's not deterred and her dad's not deterred and like no one's making her do this, right? She's choosing to do it. Here's the big part of the story. October 9th, 2012. She's 15 now and she's riding the bus, which is basically like a souped up van, home from school. She had just taken some exams and her and her friends are singing folk songs and laughing and a bike pulls up and stops the van and a masked gunman gets on the bus and he shouts, quote, which of you is Malala? Speak up, otherwise I will shoot you all. She is propagating against the soldiers of Allah the Taliban. She must be punished. And then he recognizes Malala's face and he takes his gun and point blank range, he shoots her in the face. The bullet goes through kind of the side of her left eye, through her neck, and lands in her shoulder next to her spine. And the two friends she was sitting by, Kainat and Shazia, they're, they're also shot by this guy, by this motherfucker. Um, her friend's wounds, thank goodness, weren't very grievous, but Malala... The bullet puts a hole in her skull and some of the bone fragments like fly into her brain and her left brain starts to swell. And it was a really scary time. She was in, Malala was in a coma and the doctors were working on her for days. And they didn't, like there was, they weren't sure. So the bullet had lodged like right, it went through her shoulder and then it lodged near her spinal cord. The first day there's a five hour operation and the doctors removed the bullet um, and then the next day, the doctors did another surgery, which is called a decompressive craniectomy, which is when they remove kind of part of the skull bone so that the brain can swell without getting damaged. The, apparently, after that, the swelling finally started to go down. They were able to transfer her to another hospital. Um, and her outlook was starting to get a little bit better, finally. So she, at this point, she had like a 70% chance of survival. And Malala was still in a coma. Like, because her brain is swelling and shit, so she is not awake. Um, and, and, of course, beyond just surviving, no one had any idea if there was going to be, like, brain damage, right? So, at the same time all these surgeries and medical stuff is happening, the, the local and international press ha- go in berserk. Um, protests are held... Uh, in several Pakistani cities the day after the attack, over 2 million people sign um, this petition, the Right to Education campaign, um, which eventually leads to the ratification of the first Right to Education bill in Pakistan. And Pakistani government offers a 10 million rupee, which is $105,000 reward for any information that anybody that, that leads up to the arrest of these attackers. And, of course, Malala's family is in the hospital next to her, but she's unconscious and they, you know, they're scared to death. When questioned by the press, Malala's dad states, quote, We wouldn't leave our country if my daughter survives or not. We have an ideology that advocates peace. The Taliban cannot stop all independent voices through the force of bullets. So, like, even his daughter's, like, potentially going to die. Oh, wow. (laughs) And he's this peace advocate. And it's just... It's amazing. We don't talk about a lot of awesome dads on this (sighs) podcast, but this is one of the most awesome. Yeah, for real. This chief spokesman for the Pakistani Taliban claims responsibility for the attack. They call Malala, quote, a symbol of the infidels and obscenity. And if she survived, they were going to keep targeting her. They also were like, oh, she's just been brainwashed by her father. 
Quote, we warned him several times to stop his daughter from using dirty language against us, but he didn't listen and forced us to take this extreme step. <laughs> that's, a, that's the Taliban, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. You, sounds like but an abuser to me. It's on you. It's on you. You made me do this horrible thing to you. You made me. You made me. But at the end of the day, they shot a fucking 15-year-old girl. They shot a child. They the shot face. a child. In the face. And so they were heavily, the Taliban are heavily denounced, not only by the Pakistan government leaders and leaders worldwide, but also the Islamic leaders who they like all made strong statements against the Taliban for harming a child and for trying to use scripture. Like they tried to, the Taliban tried to like use scripture. You know how sometimes the ultra, ultra conservative oh, definitely. Republicans are like, this is why you should beat your wife. And they like give you your, and you're like, what? And it's this like rando half sentence that they've chopped out of some. <laughs> right. Yeah. You can find a quote to justify any abuse or hatred in any holy book if you really want to. <laughs> I mean. Right. Which is what they're doing. But the not conservative Islamic leaders were like, no, that's wrong. No, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. Which is a kind of a huge deal because a lot of religious leaders tend not to take stands and stuff like that in situations. Um, so uh, also dozens and dozens of countries came forward and were like, Hey, we will take care of, like, if you want to fly her to us, we will take care of all of her medical needs. We will do her surgeries. We'll take care of her. It's amazing. Truly. And the Pakistani government was like, we're going to pay for anything she needs. We're going to pay for all of her treatments, which is kind of rad. Um, so Malala at this point is still in a coma. So her family and her doctors converse and they decide on the UK. So they fly her and her family goes with her to the UK. They keep taking care of her. Uh, October 17th, which is eight days after she was shot, Malala finally comes out of her coma. And by October 20th, so that's three days later after that, she was stable, but she had kind of an infection. She had all these surgeries, obviously. So infection is always high risk. And then by November 8th, there was like a picture taken of her sitting up in bed Uh, And then she does go in for another surgery, an eight and a half hour surgery on November 11th um, to repair this facial nerve. Because apparently the bullet like completely shattered one of the big nerves in the face. Um, She makes a super speedy recovery after that surgery, though. And she's discharged from hospital January 3rd, 2013. (laughs) You know, sometimes it's good to be a kid with those fast healing genes or whatever kids have. No, she still, like, has a ton of rehab to do. Like, there's... The documentary shows, like, some clips of videos of, like, them throwing her the ball and she can't catch it at first. And they mm-hmm. kind of go through this huge um, progression, which is, like, hard to watch. But then it's, like, when she starts to get better, you're like, oh, thank goodness. And you can, like, see it so so well. Yeah, when you know she comes through, I'm sure it's an easier watch, but still not easy. Right. But at yeah. the time, at the time... And, I mean, I'm still... I honestly, I'm still shook a little bit on... With dad, Daddy Malala, which is what I'm calling him. Because, you know, everyone, like, everyone, <laughs> yeah. like, is like, oh, is it Henry's wife? I'm like, no, no. Everyone associated with her is her yep. and then tangentially Malala's how they're connected mom, to Malala's mom, yeah, Malala's exactly. friend, <laughs> Malala's... I'm Malala's yeah. gr- you all... uh, grocer. Yeah. <laughs> I, just... I mean, yeah. wouldn't you? Yeah. Hell yeah! If I knew her in any way, I'm I'd, yeah, you can refer me as, yeah, uh, Malala's whatever Malala's I am Malala's to her. Right. But, but to, to, like, like, kind of to bring it back like to not know that she's gonna be okay to not know if she's ever gonna catch the ball again to not know it's like the added pressure of like to not know if and yeah. when the taliban is oh, gonna try to attack right. again and to keep pushing forward terrifying just oh my god of constant but terror. like and bravery yes. the confidence and passion and dedication to your cause like yeah. 
refusing to be shaken yeah. from your cause when the thing that you hold the most precious, you know, it's like daddy's girl, there's that thing for a reason. It's like, no, because my cause, like the freedom of my people is bigger than even my mm-hmm. daughter's life. When you see yeah. someone do that, and then, whoo. Yeah. Jupiter, you should watch the documentary. I mean, it's awesome. Well, it's happening. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's so awesome. It's period. Yeah, one of my favorite quotes, uh, and Sarah, I'll cut this out if you have this later in your notes already, but Malala's <laughs> Malala's dad was asked, like, what did you do? Like, how did you make Malala this inspiration? Like, how did you get her to do this? And he was like, well, it's not what I did. It's what I didn't do. I didn't clip her wings. You. No, I don't have that quote later, and I love it. And it sounds, it sounds like something that would come out of his mouth. Like, he just, I'm just telling you, when people say, like, the salt of the earth people, that's these people. They're just incredible. So, anyway, uh, back to the, back to the story. Uh, her, the, her, the UK has, like, given her family a temporary house, um, and so she's doing, like, rehab. She's going in all the time. She ends up having to do another surgery, so she does a five-hour-long operation February 2nd which is to reconstruct her skull. So you remember they removed a piece of it. <laughs> so they, they're doing a reconstruction. And then they also had to restore her hearing. So her her basically her hearing on that side of her face was completely blown. So they put in a cochlear implant as well as the, the skull reconstruction. And the surgery went really well. And by July, Malala wrote like in her journals that her facial nerve had recovered up to 96%. And she's got her hearing back. But she no, never, ever once does she ever, like, complain or act the victim, you know? It's, it's incredible. So her, her and her family are, they stay in England for now because they, they just can't go home because they're going to be killed by the Taliban. And so once she hits full recovery, Malala basically embarks on a massive speaking tour around the world. First, she goes to the UN, um, and they, ha- they made this day Malala Day. And she gave this big speech on the UN floor. And in her speech, she said, this is one of her quotes, the terrorists thought they could change my aims and stop my ambitions, but nothing changed in my life except this. Weakness, fear, and hopelessness died. Strength, power, and courage was born. I am not against anyone. Neither am I here to speak in terms of personal revenge against the Taliban or any other terrorist group. I'm here to speak up for the right of education for every child. I want education for the sons and daughters of the Taliban and all terrorists and extremists. Malala Day is not my day. Today is the day of every woman, every boy, and every girl who have raised their voice for their rights. Let's Let's just give a moment of silence for that. That is fucking beautiful. Like, she's like 16. <laughs> she's 16 years old. This amazing woman. I mean, she's a woman. She's not a girl at this point, obviously. She's been right. shot in the face. So she's recovering. So after the UN, she goes to, She also speaks with Queen Elizabeth. She goes across the pond, and she speaks at Harvard, and she meets with President Obama. She apparently had really strong words with him about his use of drone strikes in Pakistan. Good for I, her. <laughs> I know, Good right? Good for her. Damn right. Good. Lay it out. Call him out. Her. I'm brown too. You don't just get a pass, sir. <laughs> Let's <laughs> talk about this. Why right. you been, you're, you're creating these extremists by firing uh, missiles into our country. You realize that, don't you? Yeah. Yes. Yes, in fact. Yes. So, Obama, I blame you for me getting shot in the okay, face. I'm sure she's very eloquent. <laughs> she I don't didn't think say she that. Said that. We can't I'm, say she said that. I know. She's like I'm, so I'm sure that. she wouldn't say that. <laughs> <Right. I'm>, that's, 
<laughs> but we she can said say she this. Want the terrorist we can kids say it on the education. podcast. Yeah. Holy <laughs> shit! I don't know if I could go up to the person that shot me in the face and said, "Sir, I wish your children well." I don't know if I could do. I just, I just don't know if I could do that. And I'm 30. I've meditated a lot. Yeah. <sighs> She's Amazing. a hero. She's a hero. She she keeps speaking. She goes to the Oxford Union and the Girls Summit in London. October 8th of 2013, she publishes her book, which is called I Am Malala, the story of the girl who stood up for education and was shot by the Taliban. She also goes on Jon Stewart's show to promote the book. That's like the first place she goes on her book promo tour. And at one point, John. I remember that. Do you? Because I, I guess I didn't watch enough Jon Stewart back then. Yeah, I didn't watch a ton of it, but that's one of the ones that I caught. Wait, what happened? I didn't see it. What happened? How was so, it? So at one point, so she's talking to Jon Stewart, and at one point, John asks her what she thought when she first learned that the Taliban wanted to kill her. And she replied, quote, I started thinking about that. And I used to think that the Talib would, would come and he would just kill me. But then I said, if he comes, what would you do, Malala? Then I would reply to myself, Malala, just take a shoe and hit him. <laughs> but then I said, if you hit a Talib with your shoe, then there would be no difference between you and the Talib. You must not treat others with cruelty and that much harshly. You must fight others, but through peace and through dialogue and through education. And then I said, I will tell him how important education is and that I even want education for your children as well. And I will tell him, that's what I want to tell you. Now do what you want. Bam. Ooh. Like, can you even? And Jon Stewart was like speechless. Yeah, yeah me too. He like, and I think he ended up saying something like, I'm so humbled by your presence. Thank you for coming. You know, like he was just like in awe of her and who wouldn't be? Yeah, I feel like he just like took her hands and wanted to cry. Yeah, because Jon Stewart's a human being and he has a beautiful heart. Yeah. God, I miss him on television. So on October 10th, 2014, at the age of 17, Malala is announced as the co-recipient of the 2014 Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> Damn right. For her struggle Ooh. against the suppression of children and young people and for the right of all children to education. So she is the youngest person ever to receive a Nobel Peace Prize. I was just going to ask. <laughs> mm -hmm. She's the youngest person ever. I'll close with like just a rando bullet list of the other awesome things that she's done. She's obviously so young. She has so much more to do. And this list is not comprehensive. So, um, but other things that she's done, including, include, and this is also through her. So her, she did end up starting her foundation. Um, and they're doing work all the way all around the globe. And if you watch the documentary, you can see she travels all around to like Nigeria. She like tried to go convince the Boko Haram to let the children go that were kidnapped in Nigeria. And like she just is doing work for children around the globe everywhere. But here's the short list. She donated $50,000 to rebuild girls schools in the Gaza Strip. She opened a school in the Beka Valley in Lebanon that's by the Syrian border for the Syrian refugees, offering education for the girls um, 14 to 18 years old. She petitioned repeatedly for uh, the Rohingya who were being persecuted in Myanmar. And she was calling for other Nobel Peace Prize laureate, Aung San Suu Kyi, which is obviously now controversial. Um, she kept calling on her to condemn the treatment of the Rohingya people in Myanmar. The documentary was released, He Named Me Malala, in 2015. Another movie was made in 2020 by an, by like a, an Indian director I think it's much more of a biographical and like somebody plays her, but the documentary itself is footage of her and her family and interviews with them and stuff like that. She publishes a, a picture book 
for Kids, Malala's Magic Pencil. She publishes another book called We Are Displaced, True Stories of Refugee Lives. Um, and that was in September 2018. And that book is about refugees. Um, and she talks a lot, like her in more recent years, she's talked much more about refugees in general and about supporting them. And one of her quotes about refugees was, quote, what tends to get lost in the current refugee crisis is the humanity behind the statistics. People become refugees when they have no other option. This is never your first choice. Uh, it also should be noted, Preach. all profits from the book all, all go to the Malala Fund. So she's not like collecting money. She's just putting it back into you know her project to educate all the girls of the world. In March of this year, they announced a partnership between Malala and Apple. Uh, and apparently she's working on some programming for Apple TV+. Plus. Oh. So I don't know that we've seen any of that programming yet, but apparently that will be coming, which is very exciting. Is it like a documentary series or something? I don't know. I haven't seen any previews about stuff like that. So it's probably still in development. I'm sure. Guessing. But like the, the blurb I found about it said that it was like, working on work that kind of supports like all of the stuff she's advocating for. Mm. So I'm assuming it's going to be more documentary style stuff as opposed to, you could, I mean, you could easily have a narrative too. Yeah. Uh, And then she's also, of course, won a boatload of awards and I'm not even going to list them because they're all, they're all on her Wikipedia page at the bottom. If you scroll down, but she's just doing incredible work and her foundation is donating and building schools and doing all of this amazing stuff around the world. Um, like I said, she went to Nigeria and she's been supporting kids in crisis all over the globe. That is Malala. Did you learn things you didn't know about her story? Did you know like the full extent of the story? I think I knew all the details. I didn't I know a lot of the quotes uh, or the timeline necessarily, but I think I knew all the all the major points of it. I didn't. I think I, I, I knew maybe like 10%. I knew 10% of that. So I am shook all the way. Shook I, all the way. Ooh, I mean, incredible. admirable. Admirable. You can't tell kids they can't do nothing. Look at this. Yep. I'm so inspired. That just, that whole generation is just spawning heroes Hell left yeah. and right. I know. She reminds me so much of Greta. and yeah. of, Except Greta's a little more feisty. Like <laughs> Malala, is, she's actually like kind of like, timid and shy looking and when she like laughs she covers her mouth and she's like she's like so cute Mm -hmm. yeah she's She's such a sweetie i know and she there's this in the documentary they like ask her like oh there was this really funny section where they're they're asking her about if she has a boyfriend and she's like no all the girls in in the the british school do but you know i I, i'm not you know i'm not into that but then she's i'm into bigger things right now (laughs) there's no boy who comes close there's one part of the documentary too though when she's like pulling up pictures of cricket players and she like obviously thinks that some of them are really good looking but like doesn't want to say it and like it's like so cute it's like the cutest thing i've ever seen in my life so cute seems like so diminutive i mean it in the best way right. yeah it's it's clearly I endearing it's great because yeah. it's like you know she can still also yeah have a crush on someone yeah you can be a a, a, a cute young that's admirable. woman girl whatever whenever these things took place and be changing the world yeah who says who says cute can't be powerful? I mean, it sounds like she's just not. I mean, she's not into her energy is very focused. She's very focused on mm-hmm. what she wants to do in the world. And also, I think like her faith, like her Islamic faith, and the way things work, like where she's from in general, even not not so so crazy like the Taliban, but like mostly people don't like date around widely. Like right. usually, like 
you meet the person you think you want to be with and then you like commit to them. So she's not, you know, I think the whole concept of dating is a little bit, she wasn't raised with it really. <laughs> so who knows if she's interested in it, but she's doing way more important things. So I'm sure however love happens to her, it's going to happen. <laughs> if you um, enjoyed hearing about Malala, there are a bunch of other broads we've done um, that are similar to her, including, of course, Greta Turnberg, who is, you know, changing the world with regards to climate change. Um, also, if you are into supporting education and, and women of the Middle East, we, I did a, a podcast episode early in the podcast on Fatima Al-Fahiri, who is the founder of the world's first university. So she would be a great person to listen to as well. I say Wangari Muta Matai, who was the first African woman to win a Nobel Peace Prize, which she's the one that plants trees, and she's basically responsible for planting 20 million trees around the world. And I would also recommend checking out that documentary because it's, it's killer. Next week on Broads You Should Know, I am going to be talking about the first ever computer programmer. Not the first female computer programmer, the first ever computer programmer. So if you want to know who that is and what she did and why she's a badass, come back next week for another episode of Broads You Should Know. Thanks so much for listening. We love when you listen. If you like the podcast, please share it with your friends and family and other people you think might be into it. Give us a like. You can follow us on social media. Also, if you give us a review, if you leave a review on whatever platform you use, it's really good for us and it helps other people to find us who like content like this. So do all those things. Visit our website, broadsyoushouldknow.com. All of our broads are there. You can read more about them and browse our other episodes. And we will see you next week for another episode of Broads You Should Know.